seen anything like that. I'm a very confident front runner. I've had caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. Um, how are we going to count all the shots? If you, I, I can't keep track. Of course, well, that's, a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course, we want to play at the weekend. Hello, Golf Weekly friends. We're coming at you once again. Nathan Murphy alongside me. Hello. How are you? And Fiona Davenport, come in. Lads, afternoon. You're looking remarkably chipper. I'm feeling remarkably chipper, mm. thank you. I was a bit, I have to confess. Oh. Uh, can I tear down the fourth wall for just one brief moment? Yes. Uh, <laughs> cuss, cuss here. No. Where is this no. going? Okay, so yesterday mm -hmm. you, uh, Nathan, sent out the t 145. Then you and I, Joe, we both said, yeah, no problem. So this morning I had a few things to do. I had to go out. Uh, we're getting a new kitchen. So we went out to look at whatever, blah, blah, blah. But lo and behold, is you texted at 144 with Joe, this is, I need 10 minutes. And then little hand, you know, that little hand prayer emoji as in, sorry, lads, sorry, lads. But we were in the car five minutes away and I went, oh, no, I completely forgot that we were recording Golf oh. Weekly a quarter to two. So needless to say, uh, we belted home and here I am. So that's why I'm feeling quite chipper. Excellent. Well, it's good to have us all together. So hmm. uh, some tweets are in. There's much to talk about this week, but some tweets firstly. Andrew Fitzgerald is a regular tweeter to the show and he was at Tory Pines last week. Oof. Which is good. Amazing. Nice. Have you been to Torrey Pines, Fionn? I have. One of the nicest places on earth. La Jolla, just outside San Diego, north of San Diego. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in my life because the golf course, the Torrey Pine golf course, is on those famous cliffs that you can go um, paragliding over. Yeah. And uh, I think I've shown you that photograph of, I think, last oh, year. Oh, this... Suddenly it yeah. all feels very familiar of us yes, sitting indeed. at home in a dark... Wednesday That's night right. and Fionn starts WhatsApping. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry I asked. from, from uh, Tory Pines. But I mean, so imagine that La Jolla is one of the el most elite suburbs or areas in the San Diego region. Um, it's like super rich. It's, it really is. It's like Ferraris and Lamborghinis parked outside the organic almond milk cafes and uh, your, uh, you know, all your different kinds of... Uh, uh, cafes and eateries, but um, sounds great, yeah. But the, it's so gorgeous. I mean, it really is. It's like you realize that the wealthy have the lock on the most beautiful real estate in America, and they're not letting anyone, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, and they're not letting anyone else share it, yeah. But uh, is where is that gorgeous. in relation to Pebble Beach? Is it far? Oh, oh it's well south. Well so south. imagine San Diego's on the Mexican border, like close enough to Mexico, it's about half it's an about hour, a 15 from Mexican hour drive oh, okay. from okay. How do you know? Because I've Nathan, he I have, oh, I have I honeymooned on that drive. It's amazing. So imagine Nathan that Pebble brought Beach. his new wife to all his favorite golf courses. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah. Uh, Pebble Beach is about an hour or so, an hour and a half, maybe south of San Francisco, and um, La Jolla and Torrey Pines is about a two and a half to three hour drive south of Los Angeles. Okay. So you're talking quite the ways. The, the only reason I asked is when you were talking about how the rich colonize the very best places in the world to live and keep them for themselves. Dave Hannigan wrote a piece in the Irish Times yesterday about our good friend Jim Nance. Oh, I read it. And Fantastic. I mean, a lot of the good stuff that we would have known about Nance before, like he talked about the photo he carries around, the laminate photo of the burnt toast to give to the yep. waitress. To, 
make sure she knows what he means when he says burnt. But he was saying Nance is pulling in a tidy $8 million a year from CBS alone. And he has started his new clothing company. And he was wearing his sweaters on the NFL coverage. $248 for a very nice jumper, courtesy of Jim Nance's the uh, retail price film. Weirdly, I Although, thought Jim Nance would be on more than $8 million a year. I don't know why. You thought, yeah. Well, he's, yeah. Like, he is the preeminent sports broadcaster yeah. in the United States. If you're doing Who? Masters and Super Bowl and NFL, yeah, there's an argument. Yeah, that's a good point. You should be on. Is it $8 million basic plus bonuses, maybe? Don't know. Um, interesting. Is it Tony Romo's doing the co-com on the American NFL football now with, much, with Jim much, Nance? To much acclaim, yeah. He's unbelievable. He's like a he's like a bloody mind reader. Yeah, you know. But I, I um, calls every play. Yeah. I, they, they, no, my favorite bit in the Hannigan piece was that. Um, well, we know about the part three in his back garden, mm. and he plays the uh, music from the Masters and all that kind of stuff. But he bought um, George Bush Senior a huge expense a putting green out at the Bush compound. I mean, like a proper green, not AstroTurf. That's one of the reasons why I thought when that was before it was revealed how much he earns. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was thinking, all right, this guy is clearly earning 20 million, 25 million a year. Now, if you're doing 8 million a year over 15, 20 years. And you've probably been around the golf circuit. You've got some good tax advisors. And some good investments. So I'm sure Jim Nance's net worth is fine. Sorry, Fionn. Can you imagine the amount of corporate work that Jim does when oh. he's not broadcasting ah, for listen. CBS? I've seen what like Nathan Murphy. I've seen what Nathan Ooh. Murphy does, so I can only imagine Nance. Wow. Says Joe Malloy, the rugby, the the face of rugby. That's yeah. not corporate work. That's work. No, yeah, no, no. But I really we, we all know. That. We all know. <laughs> Tell you, if there was a gig in Saudi Arabia, he'd be there. Well, let's absolutely, not uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. We'll come to Saudi yeah. Arabia. Um, Good old Jim. So anyway, uh, Andrew, that was a hell of a tangent. Andrew Fitzgerald, a great week at Tory Pines. He had a picture, him and Rory McIlroy, a selfie. Oh, I saw it, yeah. Looks like Rory trending in the right direction. Justin Rose, incredibly steady. And this I was curious about. Adam Scott benefiting from leaving the pin in. Is he? Is anyone benefiting from leaving the pin in? Well, we were just talking about this outside and... Uh, Potter Carrington mentioned this, that Eduardo Malinari has done a huge amount of research into whether or not it's beneficial to leave the pin in or out. And Molinari reckons it's not, that you should take the pin out every time. Okay. Unless you want to whack it. Unless you're, hoping that yeah. the, unless you're hoping that the pin will stop the ball. Otherwise, there's no benefits. Brandel Chambly was saying this week at Phoenix that he'd been watching a lot of the players on the greens and that he saw several putts that he reckoned were going straight in the hole pop back out. Okay. Also, I'm not fully convinced that it makes things quicker. Again, watching it last week, the final grouping, Scott left it in, but the other two, or the two players he played with on Friday, had it out, mm. which meant it was in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So I, it's not just think, in yeah. and staying in. Every player wants something different. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. If I'm, 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 I'm curious, actually, let us know at Golf Weekly, OTB, what are people doing out there in the amateur ranks? Well, in the amateur ranks, you should be leaving it in. 100%. I presume and hope I will never play in a three ball or a four ball where I'm putting first and leave the pin in and then I'm instructed by my playing partner to go and take it out and then someone else wants it back in. If that degree of nonsense is happening in the amateurs, then I'm stopping mm. golf. <laughs> uh, so let us know, actually. I haven't played, actually, with, um, with people I'm not comfortable enough to say, sod that, we're leaving it in. 
So, Robert, um, the real controversy, because he was talking about the lining of the put controversy, but the real controversy has to be Bryson DeChambeau taking a lifetime to take each shot. I thought at European Tour was supposed to be tougher and slow players than the PGA Tour. And please, guys, no more talking about TV or musicals this week, for the love of God, says Robert. Danny Fitzgerald, uh, read the Rose manufacturer change, rather than money, because in brackets he has plenty. Is there any potential that the change had to do with full control over clubs in his bag? rather than a forced update every time TaylorMade released the new kit. Well, um, I, think the, I, could I, think be. One, I think one of the deciding reasons is that the chief executive at TaylorMade left for Honma yeah. as well, and they had a very good relationship. Because I would presume TaylorMade, if you were on the cusp of losing the world number one, would be open to some kind of uh, negotiation because who really knows what set of irons Rose is playing with or mm. who looks at the driver uh, that Well Rose of... mentioned his putter which was somewhat strange because his putting has been the main area of improvement in his game over the last couple of years you wouldn't have thought the ability to, to rotate between putters or change putter whenever he wanted would have been a deciding factor clearly on the basis of last week it's made no difference to his yeah. golf game at all maybe it was maybe in the terms of these contracts that were parts of the tailor-made gear he just didn't like and suddenly you're stuck with it for five years mm. and and tailor-made more than any other brand go all in on their new products like they i, I seen it was at the us open several times where we had sergio garcia justin rose dustin johnson all wearing the exact same outfit top to tail all in navy you're like come on mm. So when TaylorMade are selling something new, the players, it seems, have absolutely no choice but to go all in. Mm. In fairness, Justin Rose is the man you want in that case. He'll go all in. Wasn't, um, yeah, but didn't Adidas sell TaylorMade last year for like half a million or, yeah, half a billion dollars for, what is it, 425 million they spent it? Like TaylorMade is, it's kind of weird, like the premier brand in golf clubs, but yet... Like Adidas have sought to divest themselves of because clearly they're not getting any money. And as you said, Joe, if the guy's going to Hanma, Hanma are great clubs. They're eight grand a set for the basics. So who knows what, you know, Justin Rose's set is worth. But like, uh, and also to that point is that like forced up, I would imagine that no player is forced to take any upgrade ever. Like the, the irons are forged exactly to the specifications of each player. And so, you know, I mean, am I wrong? But like, I, I, I would have thought so. I, it's self-defeating if your player is playing badly absolutely. with new clubs. Like, that's the ultimate nightmare. Yeah. They've new clubs and they're not working. Really? You don't think... So Justin Rose gets the world number one and he's using a tailor-made M5 that when the newest version of that driver comes out that they don't want Justin Rose using it? Oh, they do. But I would say Rose... Oh, sorry. I, I yeah. would say Rose says to them, yeah, just uh, paint my M4 like the M5. Mm. I'd say it's the, yeah. the football dudes painted over. I, well, it's Tiger if, Woods, if, a, isn't if, a, it? if a player of that stature felt that strongly about it, I would think they would bend to his knees. I do, at the I, risk I do of just wonder. Him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, foolish. Otherwise, I mean, I, I would think it's foolish to lose him. Does that, does um, Honma make money? Are there enough people out there who can drop eight grand on a bag of clubs? Well, clubs. I don't know. As Fionn said, I think Adidas got rid of TaylorMade because clubs don't make money. Yeah. Mike stopped making clubs because they don't make money. Yeah. There's too much. You're just right. It's basically an advertisement to get people to buy the clothes. Yeah, the profit margin. Also, as well, this is like I mean, as much as the 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 shape of the blade is obviously essential to the success or otherwise of a golf club, but like, and there are so many other factors that have nothing to do with TaylorMade or Hanma or Nike or Titleist, and that's to do with the the shafts. 
each player has individual shafts that are designed and weighted specifically to their own needs. So like, you know, like, yes, you might have like the, uh, like the head design for the M5, whatever, but like the shaft is everything. That shaft will be the thing that will determine. Is that a joke? Is that, Joe. that was, Joe. there was, oh, Joe. 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 Boy who went to an old boy's school. There we go. Alert. The shaft is everything. <laughs> Joe just heard head and shaft and what he's he gone. Did. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Honestly, maybe it's a sign of my impending uh, uh, dementia that I just, I didn't even hear the words until Joe started oh. sniggering. In anyway. fairness, it came from the box outside. They started, and then I started laughing at their childishness. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right. So, um, it's right, all about the shaft. Work the shaft. Everything is That's about the shaft. The... Yeah. Don't say work the shaft. <laughs> right, Kieran. <on> the... <laughs> Love God. Um, Connor Lavery then says, looks like we'll see Bones back in the commentary box. He didn't do much for poor old Jimmy Walker. <laughs> yeah, plus nine, missed the cut, Jimmy Walker. Last. Didn't make the weekend. Last. So maybe he's not quite well again. Uh, Colin Watch, Walsh, uh, just watching Torrey Pines, wondering why par threes have to be over 200 yards these days when the most iconic par threes in golf, i.e. Sawgrass, Postage Stamp, The Seventh and Pebble, are all short and tough. Hashtag friend of the pod. It's true. We're with you on that one. And Colin... Yeah, but here... Yeah? The counter-argument is, is you can't design... It's hard to design a par three like these iconic par threes. You know, like Island Greens, etc., etc. So, you know, it's... Uh, the 200-yard par 3 is precisely designed to be as difficult as those iconic par 3s that play. Like uh, the Pebble Beach one, it's all about wind, mm. you know, is, because is you're it, exposed, you're at the elements. Is it that hard, though, to have severe runoff areas and slopey greens so there's a real premium on finding certain spots? I think, we'd all, I think we all prefer that 130-yard mm. tee shot where you have to find a small area as opposed yeah. to... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'm wrong. Um, okay. Well, you're not wrong. It's your opinion. You no, no, I'm, I'm wrong. Colin Casey, yeah. I go to World of Golf in London, which is a, a driving range. It has everything you talked about, Costa Coffee, Top Tracer, and the rest. I spend about £70 sterling a month there, bring friends and dates, etc. Colin, uh, used spa well when living in Ireland. It's a perfect place for this. Peter Laurie onto a winner. Peter Laurie is uh, taking over Spawell, Fionn. You may not have seen that. That's right. Yeah. No, I did see that, yeah. So Colin Casey takes his dates to World of Golf in London. Wow. Still single, still looking. Who could have predicted that? Uh, I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> still available. You were out I heard... at Spawell last night. The launch was on. Beautiful. Looks great. Oh, you were? He was, yeah. It's had a lick of paint. Nathan Corporate Murphy interviewing Podrick Harrington. Brilliant. What more could you want? Yeah. I saw there was, was a no clip, money exchanged uh, hands. There was a clip of uh, Brank. <laughs> if revenue were listening, this is, Nathan this is, that on the, the worst corporate deal of all time. Uh, Harrington, I just saw one clip. Brank Hill put it up. So you obviously were getting tips from Harrington because he can't um, do demonstrations with his arms. And someone had obviously asked about slicing the ball naturally. I'd say, I'd say it's the first question in every demonstration. And Harrington's advice was to uh, hit off a slopey hill, ball above your feet, thirty degrees. And just very quickly, you'll start to groove and draw type swing. That's all you have to do. It's easy. Don't overcomplicate it. Just do that. Your brain will look after the worst or look Hang after on. the rest. Well, well, what he said was, uh, unfortunately, in six months time, you'll have developed a hook and then you'll really hate me. Well, yeah. But if you're oh, struggling with a slice, that was the Padraig Harrington. Mm. 
the, the one-size-fits-all advice, whatever your grip, whatever your posture, whatever your stance, the million different things he can't actually comment Hit on. off a slope. Comment on without seeing you. Um, the one-size-fits-all advice is to stand there and find a little hill or in the driving range if they can change the degree of the mat. Maybe 30 degree ball above your feet and that will groove in your, your oh. draw shot. Um, can I, I was I, just on the subject of bad dates, I was in a restaurant in Dublin last week and at the table next to me there was what clearly was a first date couple and I, I thought a Tinder date maybe, but anyway, but clearly you could tell from the tone of the way they spoke. So they were chatting away and it was all very, very polite and, and friendly. But then sorry, at one sorry point... To, he... Sorry to interrupt. Were you with your other half? No, 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 I was on my own. And thoroughly eavesdropping on the whole thing, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I yeah, would do the same. Absolutely. I would do the same. Yeah, no, honest. absolutely. Terrible eavesdropper so, in restaurants. And he I, I, he was Central European, maybe German, something like that. But anyway, at one point, just I don't know where it came up, but he just says, uh, have you have you have you heard of the, uh, of the anti-vaxxer movement like this? Mm -hmm. And she went, no, I mean, no, 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 not really. And uh, so he explained what the anti-vaxxer movement was. And then there was this beautiful pause where she goes, geez, that sounds mental. And wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of I kind of quietly kind of laughed to myself. But um, uh, yeah, I can't imagine there was going to be a second date. Was he explaining it from the point of view of thinking this was a good idea? Yeah, he thought it was a brilliant idea. Oh, okay. He thought it was basically it was like works on the premise that the government. We don't know what what kind of crazy stuff the government is injecting into our children. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's she's, that conspiracy theory. She's, uh, thinking, do I want to have children with this man? <laughs> I know. This is the guy. Like, oh, this guy who spends way too much time looking for the dark net. You know. They, and, uh, um, they are your tweets for the time being. We're going to move on. So uh, golf has made its way into the wider consciousness this week with the trip to Saudi Arabia's Royal Greens Golf and Country Club. We have a stacked field. I mean, they've managed to get four of the world's top five. They have everybody from Justin Rose to Brooks Kepka to Henrik Stenson to Dustin Johnson to Sergio Garcia to Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, Ross Fisher, Thomas Peters has started very well this morning with the round of seven under. Uh, Lee Westwood, Richard Sterne. Basically, um, as stacked and as good a European field as they will have all year. Uh, Justin Rose, with his uh, 70 million in career earnings now, did um, come out and just say, I'm a golfer, not a politician, when he was asked about it, which seemed like uh, not a great response for someone who's as intelligent as him. And he uh, said as well, you're going to have to watch your sign during this segment. It's very loud, so and there's going to be lots of your signs, so you're going to have to oh, stop sorry. with that, okay. uh, Rose said, it's a good field. There's going to be lots of world ranking points to play for. By all accounts, it's a good golf course and it will be an experience to experience Saudi Arabia. He said, I'm taking three weeks off after it. So uh, to have an international trip fits into the schedule really well and it gets one of my European tour events out of the way very early, i.e. all my reasons for going are purely and solely about me and nothing else. Ian Poulter went with, um, I'm not the most educated man in the world to sit down and have a discussion about politics. Uh, so, so here we are. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Nathan, what have you made of the general Ferrari? Uh, has it seeped into the public consciousness this week? I think the general public look at sport and realise that at this stage, particularly golf, it's a sort of 
moral vacuum and they'll go wherever the money is, yeah. which is essentially what Keith Pelley said last week when he was on Golf Channel and been questioned about this. Uh, in fairness, Golf Channel have sort of been to the forefront on this. I was quite surprised because generally Golf Channel do like a little bit of the world is a lovely place and golf is above everything. Yet they've delved deep because Brandel Chambly, which I'm sure we'll get onto, was brilliant on it. Yeah. Pelly was on and straight away I think Pelly was wanted to say how great Abu Dhabi was and we had a world-class field and they were, we want to talk Saudi Arabia, said we have an excellent relationship with the Middle East. It's very important. Why it's important is we can't play anywhere in Europe at this time of the year. Said you can't play in Ireland or Scotland right now. Saudi's just an extension of the Middle East strategy. The European Tour is one of many global companies who operate in Saudi Arabia. We understand their goal is to make parts of the country more accessible to global business, tourism and leisure over the next decade. Mm. What a cop-out. But what else is he going to say? Mm. They're there. They've signed their deal. They knew what they were getting into when they signed up, but things have got progressively or substantially worse yeah. in terms of Saudi Arabia's reputation since then. <sighs> I don't know. You cover golf, and we love golf, and we love watching golf, mm. but this just sort of makes you despair that not one... I guess Paul Casey has stood up and said, I'm not going. Paul Casey has, and he has cited the human rights record, and you and Murray and The Guardian wrote that. A number of others feel exactly mm. the same, and they're not going for the same reasons as Paul Casey, but they've decided just to keep their counsel. They don't want to necessarily involve themselves in the um, public side of this debate, but they're not going for the same reasons as Casey. So there are a number of people out there who understand... Mm. Uh, the significance of the situation. And this is the thing, uh, sorry Fionn, because I know you're, you're going to have a lot to say on this. <laughs> it, like, it's a European Tour event. These players don't play in the European Tour. Like Justin Rose, it ticks a box. Yeah. Pick another box to tick. Yeah. You can go anywhere. You could have, I know he won last week, you could have played in Dubai, you could have played in Abu Dhabi. You can play the Irish Open and the Scottish Open. You can play any amount of tournaments over the next year. Yeah. Yet you have made a decision to play in Saudi Arabia because they're lining your back pocket. Yeah. Because you're getting an appearance fee and you're going to stand there, as we've seen in the European Tour promotional videos over the past 24 hours, standing there as an advertisement, as a walking advertisement for Saudi Arabia. Well, there's been the photo of them all pointing their clubs mm. to the map of Saudi Arabia. You know, all the world's top golfers is, and saying, you know, come here, this place is greater, here we are. You're, like, you're putting your face, your brand, saying this is a great place to visit. It's an own goal on the European Tour's part and yet Keith Pelly's point stands, which is that so many companies do business mm. in countries which don't have great human rights records or might have issues. So uh, are they the first and only company or the last company who are going to do this? Absolutely not, because they're there to make money. However, it's still disappointing because certain companies, and, and you know, you could argue the European Tour would like to stand for something a bit better, but clearly it doesn't, and it can never claim to ever again. Just, um, and then Fionn, please do come in. So Justin Rose disappointed you because he's so clearly intelligent, but like... Money is money, and the appearance, they're all getting about a million dollars, it seems, mm. to appear, and Rose has given his reasons. And that just seems poor, because he is so intelligent. But then Ian Poulter's, I'm not the most educated man in the world to sit down and have a discussion about politics. So, like, I don't know tons about Saudi Arabia. You know, I've never been there. But I literally just had a cursory look on Wikipedia. In the time it would take Ian Poulter to sit in the toilet and take a dump, okay? Keep that image with you. So... The first line, basically, about Saudi Arabia in Wikipedia is that human rights in Saudi Arabia are intended to be based on the Wahhabi religious laws under absolute rule of the Saudi royal family. Okay. It's a very strict regime, it says. It constantly ranks. This is in the second uh, line. So, Ian Poulter hasn't even begun his turd yet. Saudi Arabia is consistently ranked amongst the worst of the worst 
in Freedom House's annual survey of political and civil rights. So if I'm him, I'm now thinking, worst of the worst. Mm. Okay. Next sentence. And this is what ties in with what the European tour are doing. Corvus MSL Group, which is a US subsidiary of Publix Group, so just a company basically, uh, amid the execution of political protesters and opponents, has been working with Saudi Arabia for more than a decade to whitewash its record of human rights abuses. So I feel like Ian should be thinking here, hmm, it seems they're the worst of the worst, and it also seems they're paying this US group to whitewash their record on human rights. I wonder, I wonder if sport is ever used by countries <laughs> Never. to change the image of that country. I wonder if that ever happens. You know, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with me. And then he goes on to read, and this is when, you know, Ian is in the thrust of his business. Saudi Arabia's case includes amputations of, uh, or so you start with the corporal punishment situation there. In Saudi Arabia's case, this is about paragraph five. So I feel even with Ian, who says he's not the most educated man, I feel his attention span will extend to paragraph five. Saudi Arabia's case, this includes amputations of hands and feet for robbery. Uh, flogging for lesser crimes such as sexual deviance and drunkenness. In the 2000s, it was reported that women were sentenced to lashes for adultery. The women were actually victims of rape, but because they could not prove who the perpetrators were, they were deemed guilty of committing adultery. I feel like Ian should be getting worried now. In 2016, a Saudi man was sentenced to over 2,000 lashes and 10 years in prison for making tweets critical of Islam and denying the existence of God. Uh, and I just don't think I'm a golfer, not a politician, or in Poulter's case, well, I'm not really smart enough to know what all this politics business is about. That honestly is an eight-minute read, far less, actually. Mm. Uh, firing up your, your phone and going on to Wikipedia, Saudi Arabia. You just need to read an academic manual here to have some reservations. And then the next question is, well, how much do I need to go? Now, I have a lot more sympathy for players on the cusp of losing their tour card who need to make money. I understand they're looking at their family and saying, well, should I make a statement? In an ideal world, yes, but this is difficult for me because I want to provide for my children and there's a big chance for me to do that. That's a personal call and yeah, I respect anyone's uh, so judgment. I'd prefer them to say, do you know what, I'm taking a stand. However, for the elite players in the game who are rich beyond all belief, I don't see why they're doing this. No, it's, it's just on the defence side of it and what could be your defence. Yeah. Eddie Pepperell has sort of been involved in a, a back and forth, I think, with Lawrence Donegan and wrote a blog about it, sort of trying to explain himself, which I thought was pretty ill-advised because he made a lot of, sort of tried to make light of the situation that through suffering there can be humour at times and yeah, yeah, we, should, we should all be able to laugh about this. But part of the defence, which a lot of players would use is, well, if Eddie Pepperell doesn't go, somebody else is going to go and take his place. Yeah. This is a, because of the amount of four of the world's top five players there, this is one of the leading events on the European Tour in terms of ranking points. He's trying to stay in the world's top 50. That actually by going, nobody cares less whether Eddie Pepperell goes or not. Yeah. He's not a big name. He's not going to be front and centre of the advertising campaign. It's going to make a big difference to his career. And the other defence, which is often thrown out, and I again, it's questionable. I, 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 sorry, you can make your second point. I accept that argument to a degree. Mm. You know, I'm like walk a mile in another man's shoes. And I accept that for a huge bulk of the field, this might be a massive opportunity in their lives, life changing. So who am I to say, well, forget about your kids and your grandkids and your family and your circumstances. Maybe your parents are real and maybe you need that money. You know, I'm, I'm low to be in someone's face to that extent. 
However, as you said, one of the reasons the world ranking points are so good here is that the world's four of the world's top five have shamelessly gone here. When they don't mm. need the money, it's not going to affect their careers in any grand way. So actually, my, my disappointment is aimed at the more established, wealthier players. I don't... I feel like they've set the tone and allowed the Eddie Pepperell excuse. Sorry, you had, you had a second point. Uh, and the other side then, and the other possible defence is, and I think when we spoke about this before, when Potter Carrington was talking about it, was, well, they go to Russia. They go to China. Yeah, yeah. They have spent the last few weeks in the Middle East. They're going to go and play in the Qatar Open. Yeah. They go to parts of America. There's lots of parts of the world where there are human rights abuses, where there are massive issues, yeah. and sports people and golfers turn up all the time so what so if you yeah. pull out of Saudi Arabia are you then Paul Casey end? pulling out of Saudi Arabia is he now endorsing what goes on in China if he plays yeah. in the world in the world golf championship if he plays in the China Open I don't think he does just on Paul Casey like Paul Casey has made something of a stand here he come out and publicly said I'm not going because I I don't feel I should go because of the various human rights abuses he hasn't been hung out. He's not a pariah now. People aren't constantly questioning Paul Casey and asking him to take a further stance and be front and centre in the battle against Saudi Arabia. And also, none of these top players needed to make it public. I don't know if Shane Lowry isn't playing this week because he's against human rights abuses or he just didn't want to play. But he's just not playing. Yeah. Justin Rose could have easily just not played this week. Nobody would have questioned him. He was in San Diego last week. Yeah. In fact, it makes no sense for him to go and play in oh, Saudi Arabia. He's going to need the three, Absolutely he's going to, no sense. He's going to need the three weeks off he has to get over this. A 27-hour flight to get there. Yeah. He could have just literally skipped the week, said nothing, and didn't need to get into a conversation about why he's not there. Yeah. Fionn, where do you want to start on it? <sighs> let's, start, let's start on the European Tour for, first. Let's work our yeah. way backwards. So uh, the European so, Tour as a company, like many other co companies, is choosing to do business in countries with questionable records. Uh, Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, the European tour needs, it doesn't need Saudi Arabia, but it needs a destination that has lots of money. And um, I'm not in any way defending the European tour. I would largely agree with what you said, Joe. Um, I think the European tour are in this unenviable position where they're, I don't know if it's, it's, it's like a Hobson's choice in a sense. You know, it's like uh, Saudi Arabia put all this money in front of them and say, you know, come here, it'll expand the game. As you said, they play in Qatar, they play in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Saudi Arabia is perhaps the worst exemplar of that oppressive regime that exists in the Middle East, um, you know, that has the kafala system of labor, that, as you said, that has this Wahhabi Islam, um, where women have virtually no rights. Um, but here's the thing. Saudi Arabia, like Britain, sells weapons to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Marina Hyde wrote a good piece and she made that point. So, Billions of pounds so of arms to Saudi in the scheme of things. She says, in the yeah. scheme of things, should uh, Rose and the European tour really be held to higher standards than the UK government? Absolutely. And, and that's, I think that's a really valid argument. It doesn't in any way um, free Justin Rose from the, like what I would say is the crass hypocrisy of the, I'm a golfer, not a politician. You're a human being. I mean, not much of a human being, but you're still a human being. And anyone who says, oh, sure, I don't know about politics. You gave a good example of it. Yes, you do. And the fact that you're saying, Justin, the fact that you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a golfer, not a politician. Hey, that's Poulter. That oh, sorry, Justin Rose saying that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Poulter's play, playing the ignorant card. Yeah, but either it's it's a version of the same hand. 
And what you're what you're effectively saying is, is I know there's a bunch of shitty things that happen in Saudi Arabia, but I don't want to get bogged down in them. So I'm just going to say this. Um, like Eddie Pepperell, I mean, Nathan, you mentioned Eddie Pepperell. Did you see his tweet? Like, I mean, he leans into this. He's trying to, you know, the, I, I'll read it out just to, there's a kind of a, a kind of a tone deafness to it all. I've seen a number of tweets saying we shouldn't be here in Saudi Arabia, but let me remind you of this. Only last year, women weren't allowed to wear any clothes at all in my house. Mm. And you're like, all right. Mm. Thanks, Eddie. I was shocked. Thanks for your, I was shocked when thanks, I saw that. Mm. Yeah, thanks for your contribution to the conversation. Um, I, I here's think, the thing. I think he obviously realized that was so poor that he wrote an article then, which, again, was just mental gymnastics of the most indulgent kind. Like, it just didn't amount to anything. Even that last paragraph where he basically said, maybe they're trying to change. Yeah, we don't not, know. Let's go not. over and see. Maybe they're... They're not uh, trying to change. And well, whatever change is coming is unbelievably slow. And, well, Wait. listen, what's happened in the last four months over there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the other thing, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, okay, look, women are allowed to drive now, so you could argue, well, are things becoming a bit more progressive? But when uh, Jamal Khashoggi is killed in October and dismembered and body put in acid, and you know, it's like he's just a journalist. So, yeah, but he's geez. a friend of the royal families as well. It's a, there's a lot of weirdness, I, and the thing is, is that I think Marina Hyde's piece actually kind of hits the nail on the head for me. It's also worth bearing in mind. There's an interesting contrast here. Is this this is even less difficult to handle, sadly speaking. This is less difficult to handle than the rebel tours of South Africa during the time when South Africa was banned from participation in international sport. Like, rebel tours justified, it goes, like the, the key, you know, the all blacks or the all black rebels that would go. I mean, I know Ireland went in, yeah. what, 81. And, yeah. Like, the idea that you'd go, it's like, no, 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 this isn't about politics, this is about sport. And in South Africa, there is this rugby loving public, a rugby, you know, these are rugby mad nation and it's a crime to deny them the chance to test their best against our best, which is a kind of a perverse but logical argument. Like Saudi Arabia isn't banned by anybody from doing anything. So it's not on any prescribed list. And yet, you know, it's like I guarantee you the amount of Saudi Arabians who give an absolute fig about golf, you could fit in the back of an SUV. You know, it's like, like I, I find the whole thing is just kind of sad, dispiriting, but ultimately kind of inevitable in a lot of ways. Like, I know I, I, I want to cling to people like Roger Federer, who says it took me five seconds to make a decision that I'm not going there, you know. But then again, Roger doesn't have to. Tiger Woods doesn't have to. I'm with you, Joe. The four of the five top players in the world don't have to. Mm. Eddie Pepperell probably does in mm. a certain way. Like the guys fighting to hold on to their card or trying to get Ryder Cup points or whatever it is. These are the guys in a sense that I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that what they're doing is OK, but like I understand them more. Mm. For all the other guys, including Justin Rose, these guys are just about money and money has blinded them to any moral obligation they have. Because in the end, the moral compass that you carry within you is your ultimate responsibility. You can't hide behind like, you can't say, oh, Britain sells arms to these people. Like, it's wrong of Britain to sell arms to Saudi Arabia. But it doesn't mean that then I'm going to run off to Saudi and kind of just gleefully participate in something that I know ultimately is to the detriment of that moral code. Anyway, but that's, yeah, yeah. We could sit here and we could spend hours talking about this stuff. Ultimately, I think it's a terrible shame the European tour are having an event in Saudi Arabia. I understand 
why they're doing it. I don't agree with it, but yeah, I understand why they're doing it. Okay. Let's move on. Justin Rose, eh? Played some good golf last week. I thought Justin Rose was excellent wow. in Torrey yeah, Pines really, last week. Really, really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, Justin Rose won at Torrey Pines. Tiger Woods finished up 11 shots back last week. And in Dubai, Bryson DeChambeau shot a closing round 64 to set a new tournament record of 24 under par. Finished seven shots clear of second place Matt Wallace. Uh, DeChambeau, this kid, he's doing some special things. What's that, four yeah. of the last nine tournaments he's won? And he is, as we know, uh, along with Nicholas Mickelson-Woods and Ryan Moore in winning the NCAA and US amateur titles in very elite uh, company. So, um, you know, all this talk of air density, <laughs> let's not be scoffing. The strange thing about that was that this has come to a head, so this is around his slow play. Yeah. Because of the European Tour's media department who put out one of their sort of quirky videos as a... Uh, Look at the mad scientist, look what he does, look at the level of preparation, look at the craziness of the conversation. Yeah. And everyone went, wait a second, this has gone on for a minute and 45 seconds, he still hasn't hit the bloody shot. Yeah, and actually one of the commentators made a great point, so they were talking about so much and they never even discussed the lie. <laughs> Which was like crucial, because he was in the rough. And you know, air density, I mean, so they're just basically saying, I, so it's, it's really warm, they would know their ball's travelling a bit further, and they're just allowing for that, right? Yeah, but... They seem to be trying to go into more intricate detail, whereby they knew what the air density was because it gave them an extra 3% mm. distance. So they were trying to work all that out. But as you say, I think this is a natural conversation most players have with their caddy. Right, what do I generally hit at 135? All right, the ball's going to travel a little bit further because of the, the, the heat. It'll be fine. But because he uses a slightly different language. Yeah. Step forward, Brooks Kepka, who uh, has nothing to say about Saudi Arabia, but is livid with this situation. Uh, I just don't understand how it takes a minute and 20 seconds, a minute and 15 seconds to hit a golf ball. It's not that hard. It's always between two clubs. There's a miss short and there's a miss long. It drives me nuts, especially when it's a long hitter, because you know you've got two other guys, or at least one guy that's hitting before you, so you can do all your calculations. You should have your numbers. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, did you notice that after all this talk of air density pressure and all that, that other stuff, that the shot he hit is just like really basic? I was like one two six or so, somewhere between one two six and one thirty. I'll, I'll hit. I'll it's hit. Like, I'll hit my fifty degree. Yeah, he hit a fifty degree wedge. Like he took. Like he hit his normal swing. Yeah. And like it was a good shot, but like I, I often I wonder, is Deschambeau playing to the cameras there? Do you think? I wonder. Because I, 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 do, I do wonder, uh, it would be an interesting test, actually, very interesting test, if from, uh, you know when you're walking up to your ball, mm. you're, kinda, you're, you're already sizing up the shot. You have a fair, at our level, you probably have a fair idea, if you're not yapping to your mate, what you're probably going to hit. It would be a really interesting experiment for DeChambeau, and he likes experiments, he's um, into science. Oh, really? Like, yeah. If, um, you know, <laughs> if 20 yards, as he's walking, if when he reaches 20 yards of his ball, you had to say to him, what do you reckon? And he had to say, nine iron, full out. And then he's leg it up to his ball, discuss it with his caddy for a minute and a half. It'd be interesting to see if there is much of a change mm. ever. Because I would think instinctively he's processing all this information. I would say I would, it's become such a habit for him. It calms him down. It's his process. With him, once he's mic'd up and he's doing all his numbers and stuff, I don't mind it that much because it's kind of entertaining. Well, it's more entertaining than the vast... Like, you've probably got Jordan Spieth ahead of him. Yeah. Or Phil. Yeah. But aside from that, you're not too interested in most no. player caddy conversations. Jason Day standing there with his eyes closed. We can cut that right down. 
But also, I'm surprised, Fionn, you're not being ultra cynical on this. Like, Deschambault's a smart guy. He has management team around him who are going, you know what separates you from all those other guys? From yeah. Xander Schauffele, yeah. from even Justin Thomas. Do you know why people know you? Because you're a bit out there. You're a bit crazy. Yeah. A little bit more of that stuff is never going to do you any harm. They love this uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, They're eating yeah. it up. Also, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're thinking that, even though it hasn't, and I, I still haven't heard of anybody going out and buying clubs that are the same size. If he keeps but if he it, wins a major, oh, I'm, suddenly his I'm management team are, I'd say they are ready, Monday night, the ads are flowing, go get your Bryson DeChambeau clubs. In, interestingly, we were in here on Sunday and uh, Maura Tarasini Kalik, who was co-presenting, I was, she's not a massive golf fan, she was saying, so I was telling her about Brooks Koepka and the science and the mm. same club lengths. And she was saying, has anyone ever tried the same club lengths before? And I was saying, I don't think so. Certainly, I've never heard of it, you know. And then Dermot Elise, the doyen of uh, all uh, golf knowledge, he texted in and apparently there were a set of irons very much on sale and pushed in the 80s. Ironically, they were called like tiger irons. <laughs> <laughs> if only that had worked out, they would have been in great shape, uh, which were all the same length, but it never quite caught on in the 80s. But I agree, if Deschambeau wins a couple of majors and keeps up this level of play and is just saying to people it's easier to hit the same length club you know for an amateur it's going to be easier you're not going to have to change your stance it's not going to change your swing gone are the days of having to hit that horrible forearm which feels so long compared to your nice wedge then um i think we'll all be giving it a try mm. or I, has but... golf not been around for a hundred and fifty years and people have tried everything and realized that actually having different length clubs is better is know. the optimum yeah. experience um, I, I would I would be with Nathan there. Like I think also I mean I do I think he is playing to the cameras, but I don't want to be absolutely adamant in saying so because I don't want to be unfair to him either. But I wonder, like as well as like all golfers, they have their process to get into that zone, and maybe for Deschambeau it's numbers. He's got to hear a lot of numbers, and then he kind of gets into that quiet space where he can just kind of hit through the shot without thinking about anything else. But uh, ultimately, Deschambeau. Desham Bryson DeChambeau, the man, is an interesting person. Mm. Just his background, his field of interest, the fact that he's so scientific is in the approach, and that he has taken a very radical departure from your standard golfer. But as a golfer, he's not that interesting. He's not an interesting golfer. His swing isn't that pretty. He um he doesn't hit electric shots. He's not he's not exciting. He mm. doesn't take big risks. Um, like when you think of the golfers that we love, mm. they take risks. They they have like, you know, there's a bit of swashbuckle about them. There is like Bryson DeChambeau is the opposite of the swashbuckler. He's the antithesis of the swashbuckler. In fact, he's trying to take any buckle and swash out of his golf mm. game and reduce it to this just kind of metronomic, utterly cold scientific approach, which... Yes, it's interesting if I was to, as golf fans, we sit down and talk to him, the man, but to watch him, I'm just bored to death, which I, and I will hold my hands up as a huge Jordan Spieth fan. I imagine a lot of listeners who are going, yeah, but Jordan Spieth is exactly the same, just boring everybody with his slow play. It doesn't bore me, but I can understand, you know, so everything I say about DeChambeau could potentially be applied to others, but I think it's particularly true of DeChambeau. I don't. I, I. I feel like I haven't seen enough of them to know. What, what I've watched him for the last couple of years. It's like it doesn't particularly excite me. No, yeah. he's not that exciting. You're just waiting. You're waiting for. I think these moments now with him, where he'll say something a bit out there, and then Nerdy. everyone will read into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he uh, took out the from my woodwork class when he was on the green, what did he take out? 
to measure the angle of his putt. Oh, what a bore. It takes all sorts. I mean, look, I, I, I accept, I, in a first round of a standard PGA Tour event, obviously Phil and Speed and Rory and any number are well ahead of him in the queue. However, you know, golf needs characters, and if he's in the final pairing in Augusta against somebody who's got great flair, then there will be something interesting about the clash of styles yeah, no, no. approach, you know? Yeah, perhaps, but um, again, it's just like... I, we just don't want flair. lots of DeChambeau's coming through. No, no, but flair, and again, and again, flair is different. There's Mickelson flair, Tiger Woods flair. Does DeChambeau not take risks with his play then? He doesn't hit Hail Marys or... Like, does he hit great recovery shots? I don't, I can't remember any. No. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe we're being unkind. He hasn't been in a position where he hasn't, he hasn't screeched into a lead from behind a tree. He hasn't hit, you know, Sergio from behind the tree that time, at wherever it was. Um, no, but, so maybe that'll happen. But yeah. like, I just think he's such a methodical golfer that in the end, he takes, does it, he takes joy out of the game for me. So I watch Yikes. him and I'm like, I like his hat. Yeah, the hat's like good. Li Hao Tong was the big controversy. Mm. The caddy a judge to have assisted the player with the lining up of his putt when clearly he didn't. Got a two-stroke penalty. Even Keith Pelly came out and made a big deal about, it, about this. Well, but didn't they revoke it? Well. Cynically trying well, to divert attention. Come on. From the other big come story on. this week. Of all the ranking <laughs> justices in golf that suddenly the head of the European Tour feels the need to make a statement in a pretty unprecedented manner. Yeah. It's on the week they're in Saudi Arabia. It did seem Come to on. stink of that. But was it not against the rules? Yours, he didn't line him up, but he did stand behind yeah. player and ball, which is... It is against the rules. Against the rules. But did he not step away before the player was properly set? And, but, he, and he could have... Um, I think but from what the ORNA said, yeah. the rule technically on point is that he cannot in any way line up. So he... By standing there, he was able to look at the line and advise his player. But he, by the time the player had really lined up properly, he had started to step away and was gone. So he wouldn't have known if he, from his point of view, was happy with what way the player was aiming. You know, he was gone. Like, it wasn't like he could have said, touch more, a ball more to the right, good, and then stepped away. Like, literally, as the player was actually just getting into position, he had started to walk away. So he couldn't influence the player. He couldn't even say, that's good, from my perspective. Yeah, but the rule is, I think... You can't stand behind at all. No. Even before the player gets there. No, you can't. You can't. Once the once player the takes the address position, yeah. once the player goes to address, you have to step away. You can't be on the line. Yeah, for me, that was close enough to not being addressing the ball to let it go. But the European Tour adjudicated afterwards that, in fact, it was, as you say, that he wasn't deliberately trying to cheat or do anything untoward, so... Yeah. They gave him back his two shots. Did they? Did they not? Oh, geez, maybe I read it wrong. Well, maybe Sorry. I just missed that part of it. No, I think that they there was a bit of back and forth, but that the the RNA had said oh, the rule was broken. They were right to adjudicate it like this. It probably won't happen again now. Unfortunately for Hartung Lee, he's in contention in a tournament. It's live on television. Everyone sees it. Yeah. Everybody else learns. Yeah. Um, to finish, uh, Tiger Woods at Torrey Pines, I mentioned 11 strokes behind, got a first look at him. So uh, he was very rusty, as you might imagine. Mm. He did shoot a final round 67, tied for 20th. Overall, he was 10th in strokes gained, TG Green, uh, much better across the weekend. Uh, driver and irons were pretty poor on Thursday and Friday. His putter seemed to warm up as the week went on. Um, Tiger's taken two weeks off now. 
Then he's back at Riviera where he missed the cut last year and doesn't have a great record generally. So I thought he looked tired. Did you really? Even yeah. Oh, he finished. How well. can he still be tired? That's what I was. Uh, just, still hasn't slept just since by the, the time cut. it got to was it late Thursday night? I was watching him after at the end of his first round. Maybe you felt tired. Yeah, you were, I was you most were definitely projecting tired. Projecting on Tiger Woods. Po- quite possibly. I, I suspect even regardless of how tired he was, he was still. God, is everyone so tired? Why is everything just so dull right it's now? It's so tired. <laughs> My eyes. I felt like his eyes were closing at one stage, and suddenly an hour went past and uh, nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a kind of a weird week because Spieth, McIlroy, and Tiger all played well at certain stages, but never really enough to mm. give themselves a chance. It, I mean, Ooh. you you kind of you moved over fairly quickly, but Justin Rose's iron play was as good as I've ever seen. By it's, anybody. It's, it's, it's an extra- like he's not- extraordinary um, transition into completely new everything. Like it really is. Uh, maybe he- he's the perfect player to do that because he's so uh, technically methodical and meticulous mm. you know he's less of a field player it seems than others second in this week he was second in strokes grain again tee to green i was just looking at the list of where he's won tory pines colonial valderrama royal aberdeen congressional doral muirfield aronimink and marion yeah. tight courses where you need long tight courses where iron play is everything this is a guy like you know hits hits a forearm through the eye of a needle like he's i, I must say like i i I find him the perfect golfer in both the good and the bad way. You know, like there's all that kind of fist pumping to the camera and all that. I don't buy any of it. His, his, his signing charity things while demonstrating his watch. All of it. I find it all fraudulent. But he's an unbelievable golfer. Mm. He's unbelievable. Like I, I can't get over Like do you remember at the Irish Open uh, when we watched him up close? Yeah. I, it was... I have to say, I was in awe of his ability. Yeah, so he didn't play well that week, but mm. I was in awe of him. No, like, he was incredible. He's got proper star quality on a yeah. golf course, especially in person. Because he's a big guy as well. And uh, look, some of the finger pointing on TV is, uh, it feels a bit cringy when it's allied to the signing of the charity thing with his watch on uh, display. Like, it all feels brilliant. like an act. But I found when, 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 when you were there, his interactions with the crowd felt uh, kind of okay yeah. because everyone there was there to see him in that group. So he was yeah, just acknowledging yeah. that. So. Yeah, I did come away going, God, I hope he plays the Irish Open all the time because he is unbelievable. He's he just so consistent. I don't really bet. I, don't, I mean, I rarely bet, to be honest. But um, I think if, I think in every major this year, I had a nibble on Rose because I just thought, well, he's he's going to give me value for money, as in he's going to be there, thereabouts. Yeah. Well, he's at a stage Sunday. now where actually one major isn't enough. No. You look back and think with the three, four-year spell, not even that. Look, I think he's won on the PGA Tour in nine of the last ten years. Yeah. So for a decade now, he's been consistently brilliant. So really, one major isn't enough for him. You consider Brooks Kepka has three. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Rose is a much better player, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, really in is. fact, he made it. He made it quite dull on Sunday night because you just never expected him to mess up. Yeah. I'm saying that. Well, I, I was. I was saying in the commentary that Mark Rowe generally likes to build it up and build it up and and overhype it even when somebody's four shots clear. He was doing the complete opposite for some reason on Sunday night. He had given it to Justin Rose about six holes from the end, and even going down 18, I was like, Have I got my scores wrong here? Yeah. Adam Scott's two shots behind on a par five to finish up, where we've seen countless players spin it straight back into the water. Yeah. Now, in the end, Mark Rose right. It was I mean, simple as. You're, yeah, and the fa- but Scott came on the back of three birdies in a row on 18. Um, 
I mean, it was at the end. It was kind of a done deal. I mean, that like, what is he? He hit the he hit the approach to five feet. Rose did mm. just to just like like put it put an absolute end to any conversation. But like he started what the last he played the fifth hole, the bogey on five is the last mistake he made. Like he started with three straight bogeys, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, and that was it. Like, but like a bit of a wobble at first, and then just found his game, and then. He was phenomenal. I wonder. I have to say. I wonder I, might he just, might he might he have a prolonged stay at, at world number one? It's very possible because he is consistent enough, even if he doesn't win majors, mm. to win enough tournaments and just have enough top five finishes to do that. Um, yeah. It's changed tournament times, record so he got was he whatever it was his twenty one under was the tournament record. Well, just a word Justin, on time. There's uh, plenty of plenty of world ranking points available this week. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I mean whatever criticisms. I may have of Justin Rose, the man, Justin Rose, the golfer. Absolutely unbelievable. He's phenomenal. It's true. Uh, the word on this course, by the way, in Saudi Arabia is um, these players will be able to put a decent score up, especially if the weather's kind. Well, seven under is leading after oh. the first round, so. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, um, ho- is... Hopefully, if he's willing to go to Saudi Arabia, he'll be willing to go to La Hinge. <laughs> now, similar similar issues human, in their I think human rights towards women. But... <laughs> <laughs> Only a Mayo man can say that. Wow. Um, tell me this. Tommy Fleetwood is going. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, Fiona. Oh, yeah, that's the big news. Tommy Fleetwood's coming to La Hinch. Oh, fantastic. If they don't pair him with Molinari, who better be coming as well, then we don't know what we're What's doing. What's the point? Yeah. Um, is the waste management open this week? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Phil's 30th year playing in Phoenix. It's looking for his 50th PGA Tour win. Hmm. Mm. Um. Yeah, Phoenix. I mean, the novelty has worn off the 16. I think. Say, I can't watch ah, yeah. them. I can't watch them try and hype it up anymore. Like it's just tedious. They don't show the tournament very well. About seven or eight years ago, it felt like a, a yeah. brilliant event, and you'd look forward to the 16th. Whereas now, it's. Ugh. Are we just haggard? Is this what's? Ha- is this? No, I think is this, is this I think happened? it got so big that there's nothing new about it now. Also, it's. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's expanding. I think it's just as many drunk Americans as you can fit into one place at the one time. Why was it so exciting? Oh, because it kept getting bigger over the last few mm. years. That's why it's just plateaued now, hasn't it? That's the reason. We figured it out. It's plateaued, Fionn. I Well, I think it's also since they stopped the caddy run to the 16th. Oh, yeah. It kind of, like, controlled the fun. But, I mean, I, I, I read anecdotally that the players aren't big fans but remember, Rory last year was horrified by the behaviour of the fans. Was he? Wasn't it? Wasn't it there that he thought like just the general yelling and the he just thought, oh come on, this is just too much. I could be wrong, it, but I mean, yeah, the I, don't, I fans don't remember just, that. You're sure it wasn't? Um, remember, he, he played with Tiger and had to take headache tablets. Oh, uh, that could be it. My yeah. apologies. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, but there I don't is, remember that about that Phoenix. raucous atmosphere in Phoenix, which is just basically it's like you know, it's like a big. It's spring break goes golfing, you know, and uh, um, yeah, but I mean, but the problem is, is that there's no new story. So eight years on from the explosion of the Waste Management Open, it's the same story as the last eight years. So short of announcing some new departure, like what, you know, know, the the field is maybe reflective of an increasing indifference to it. John Ram is generally the favorite for every tournament he plays in now, by the way. John Ram, Justin Thomas, Matsuyama. But then, like, next in the betting is Xander Schauffele, Gary Woodland, Tony Finau. Now, in fairness, Fowler, Mickelson and Kucher are there too. But, you know, they're not all rushing to play this great fun event. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, Joe, but there's another event happening across the world that has a <laughs> lot of money on offer. Yeah, it's true. 
the dirty very, world. Very we different in. atmosphere, I expect, uh, in Saudi Arabia yeah, to yeah, the 16th yeah. of Phoenix. Yeah. Maybe they're so appalled by the what happens at the 16th of Phoenix, they wanted to go somewhere where maybe that sort of drinking wasn't going to be encouraged. Well, they're in the right place. Did you see, just on the subject of Saudi Arabia, did you see the video of Patrick Reed at the international school? I saw a picture. Like, he looked very happy. He was. He, um, he, he seemed, he's either like an Oscar-nominated actor, or deserving to be, or he genuinely was happy. So he basically said that it was a real thrill for him to be there. Like, he was at an international school with a whole bunch of Western kids, and uh, he, uh, he just told them all how thrilled he was to be there and what a great honour. And... But he did it with, like, real glee in his voice. Right. He looked, yeah, weirdly happy. Uh, him and Jordan Spieth had a little hug as well. Did you believe this on, on the tee? No, because there was no eye contact in the hug. Did you know that? So Jordan Spieth initiated the hug. Reed had went to, Reed was taken aback by it, but then went with it and smiled. It was and a bit then, alpha male from Spieth, I thought. Oh, it was, it was. like big arm over. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I forgive is, you. Yeah. <laughs> but then he, like, Spieth then, if you watch it, just turns around, never actually looks him in the face and leans back down to his bag. So that was not a moment of healing, really. That was just... Uh, <laughs> Between that and Kepka destroying DeChambeau, the American Ryder Cup team is falling apart. It's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think um, Kepka did the slow play thing after, but before the DeChambeau thing blew up on the right. tour. He was doing a podcast. Um, Brandon Chambly's starting a podcast, by the way. I mean, look, I know we're not in the, we're not in the um, business of promoting anything else that's not ours, but Brandon Chambly will make an exception for it. Amazing. That'll be worth a listen, in fairness. He's the best of the best, isn't he? Yes. He's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any yeah. final business before we sign off? No. <laughs> I figured that. No golf. Are you guys playing any at all? I played last uh, Friday for the first time in I don't know how long with Dave McIntyre and Keith Andrews in Port Marnock Hotel and Golf Links. And? It was just a joy because I had no um, expectations, obviously, because I hadn't played in months and months and months or pressure. Where'd you hit it on the first? Uh, decent. I, I drove it just a little bit to the right, but like you're in play, you can find the green. Do you know why it was enjoyable actually? Because there were, I literally, it was the first time in my life I didn't, it didn't bother me whatsoever if I hit a bad shot. Mm. That's nice. Never That's a happened, good feeling. Never happened before. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really good. And we did match play, so there was no pressure. Like I didn't actually, I think in the first nine holes, it was Dave McIntyre's score who counted for eight of them. I did nothing. Um, How's Keith Andrews as a golfer? I see, I only saw him when he first started playing. So he's transformed since then. He's down to like handicap of 16 now. Right. It's very, very acceptable for someone who's only playing about 18 months, two years, you know? Oh my God. Can he hit, can he, like, can he, is he a good striker of a ball or? I like he's 16 handicap, so it's inconsistent, yeah. you know, but he can hit a few, you know? We were playing, uh, his teammate was a fellow who works in the FAI as well. Plays off 12 and just like every fairway, you know, just never in trouble, never miss hit a shot, just drove the ball. Just, you, you never uh, kind of went, oh my God, what a shot. Hmm. And yet, like, every time he was yeah. putting for par or bogey. It was just uh, relentless. It's the way to play golf. Stress-free. <sighs> yes, it is. Well, I'm on a, I'm on a plane to you boys tonight. Oh, yeah? I'm coming to, um, I'm coming to Dublin for, uh, just for a couple of days, going to a wedding. But um, I don't, just the weather is just going to make it pretty impossible to play anything. So it's very cold. You snuggle up and mark the Six Nations over here, Fiona. The coverage is very good. Mm. Oh, actually, here's here's the thing. What time is the game on at, by the way? Four forty-five. 
Okay, well, here's the thing. So I booked my flights, and the cheapest flight back to Manchester, unbeknownst to me, was during the bloody game. No so kidding. I, was just like, oh, I swear to God, I'll, I'll catch the. I'm only interested in the lead up. I don't care. Once the whistle goes, I don't care. So I just want, I want to see what the lads in the studio mm, are talking about. It's most important. So part. That's what, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> right, we're done. We're out of here. We're going. Sorry? No, no, we're done. We're no, done. No. We're done. Okay. Fionn Davenport, thank you. Nathan Murphy, thank you. Yep. We're back next week.